0: And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, January 13th, 2020. Yep, we're going to be building off of uh, last Friday's episode about New Year's resolutions, why they don't work, and we'll do a little law and gospel foundation work today. Is it wrong that I'm, like, you know... My own improv to my intro music. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over again we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward for consumption by the average evangelical far from biblical, far from what God's word says. In fact, there's just a whole lot of people making a big mess of it out there and uh, we're trying to save you uh, a lot of eternal woe and heartbreak. All of that being said, today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, we're going to be heading to Saddleback Church and We're going to be listening to one of the pastors there. His name is Steve Adams. And the name of the message is Living a Clockwise Life, Living a Clockwise Life. And uh, we're going to be doing some just foundational law and gospel work here. And this builds off of last Friday's episode of Fighting for the Faith, uh, uh, the sermon that I delivered on why New Year's resolutions don't work. And so one of the things that we do to help people in rightly understanding God's word is how do you make a proper distinction between what's called God's law and the gospel? The gospel demands things of you, but the uh sorry, the law demands things of you, but doesn't give you the ability to do them. Uh, and the gospel promises you that you're forgiven in Christ. How do we as Christians rightly understand law and gospel? So we'll do a little foundational work today uh which is one of the things we do here for some of you this will be review and that's completely fine for others of you uh it 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 won't be review it's going to be something different <laughs> it's the best way i can put it for some of you it's going to be like whoa this is the first time i've ever heard these distinctions and i understand that for some of you that, that when when you hear these distinctions for the first time it it can be freeing it could be eye opening it could be a lot of things but the idea here is, is that this is the reason why we keep coming back to this uh, you know these types of foundational teachings because as Christians we don't really graduate from the basics. You know for instance like the the guys that play baseball in the major leagues they're the ones who have mastered the fundamental basics and they don't depart from them. They just really have them deeply embedded. Same with sound biblical exegesis and sound biblical doctrine. You don't ever really graduate from that. Instead, the idea here is, is that the more you work the basics and the basics become muscle memory, if you would, for you in rightly understanding God's Word, the more skilled you are in understanding the Word and even the more skilled you would be in teaching it to other people. So that's one of the reasons why we do these types of episodes. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. And uh, and, and this is, since this isn't a Rick Warren update, this is just kind of like you know, a, a proper distinction of law and gospel update with a bad sermon to kind of boot. Let's do this.
1: I didn't know you were going to start out with
0: it. Looking
1: for a city built above, looking for a city where I'll we'll never die, where this ain't a million.
0: Now, what we're going to do today, we're going to head over to Saddleback Church and we're going to listen to one of their teaching pastors, Steve Adams, and he's going to be delivering a sermon titled, Living a Clockwise Life. And this is a good example of not only taking a biblical text out of context, but not rightly teaching law and really weighing people down with law. Yeah, see, when the, as a pastor, you know, you kind of ask the, have to ask the question, what is the purpose of a sermon? What's the purpose of a sermon? And a lot of pastors assume that the primary purpose of the sermon is is to convince you to make a free will decision to intentionally apply biblical rules, commandments, or principles so that you can then be more Christ-like. That's not the purpose of a sermon, by the way. The purpose of a sermon is to exegete a biblical text in order to, And then through properly exegeting the biblical text, make the distinction between law and gospel and use law and gospel correctly for the purpose of convicting you of your sin, to placard and proclaim Christ so that your faith is built up. And then through faith, that strong faith, you then, by the work of the Holy Spirit, mortify your sinful flesh and God produces in you the spirit the the fruit of the spirit completely different approach altogether and so i'll i'll kind of let you sort that out but we're we're going we we'll note a few things along the way we're going to ha- handle a chunk of this sermon because like i said this is a, this is on a discernment level that's a lot higher because it's going to deal with fundamental assumptions as as far as what the purpose of the sermon is and then you'll note then how his assumptions are then going to, well, cause him to do monkey business with a biblical text. All that being said, let's uh, pull up my desktop, and here's Saddleback Church's YouTube channel. Here's Steve Adams and Living a Clockwise Life. And if you want to open up your Bible in preparation uh, for the Bible teaching, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Here we go.
2: But today, what I'm going to talk with you about is I'm going to talk with you about living a clockwise life.
0: Now, you know the term clockwise, it refers to the living a clockwise life. See, already i got to just ask a question. Which of the fruit of the Spirit is living a clockwise life? In the, in the realm of sanctification, which particular type of sin are we talking about? Is it a sin of the flesh that I'm addressing? What what What's the opposite of living a clockwise life, and, and which commandment am I breaking if I'm not living a clockwise life? See, I have to ask questions like this, because in thinking biblically regarding my sanctification, I I think it's absolutely vital that Christians do good works. In fact, you're not a Christian if you don't do good works. Not because doing good works makes you a Christian, because... Christians do their good works because they are Christians. And so good works are informed and defined by God's Word. So immediately, I'm already asking the question. I'm not familiar with the concept of a clockwise life. I'm not sure what the phrase even means. And I graduated from seminary. So uh, we've we've got a problem here already. The motion of the forward motion of a
2: hand on a clock and I want to borrow that term this weekend and say I think you and I, I think the scripture the scripture we're gonna look at today in Ephesians it tells us to live a clockwise life and a person that's clockwise from so Ephesians tells us to live a clockwise life okay. what I want to talk to you about today a person who's clockwise is one who in their forward journey They are making the most of
0: every opportunity and their time. And in doing... In their forward journey, they're making the most of every opportunity. Business opportunity? What kind of opportunities are we talking about here? So they grow in wisdom.
2: They are clock wise. And let's take a look at this scripture. It's from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. And it says this, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise.
0: Okay, so be careful how you live. Got it. We don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, three rules for sound biblical exegesis. They are context, context, and context. So we're going to apply the three rules for sound biblical exegesis here, and we're going to take a look at the context of Ephesians 5 to see if we can figure out what's going on here so that we can better grasp it. Now, this is where I'm going to start to flesh out the concepts of law and gospel, but let me open up to Ephesians 2 first. Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 to 10, are one of the greatest summaries of the Christian faith that you can find in all the scriptures. I, I, in fact, it's like ground zero for sound doctrine. And we'll note a few things in this text to sort a few things out before we get to Ephesians 5. So, and this is where we'll start our concepts of law and gospel. Ephesians 2.1 states, And you were dead in trespasses and sins. By the way, dead means dead. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Yeah, so here in Ephesians 1 through 3, we get the doctrine of original sin, you're dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, basically under the dominion of darkness, children of God's wrath, it's a bad thing. And then you get one of the best words in all of Scripture here, and it's but, because this but is going to work at erasing everything that's in the first three verses. But God, he is the subject of the verbs here, he's the subject of the sentence. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with Christ and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice God did all of these things. For everybody who's a true believer in Jesus Christ, penitent believer in Christ, God has made us alive together with Christ, raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places. This is most certainly true so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Okay, So here's the idea. We are dead. God makes us alive together with Christ. By grace we are saved through faith. This is not our own doing. It is not from us. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. And then we are God's workmanship. He, we are created in Christ Jesus by God. We are his workmanship created for good works. This is why Christians do good works, because they are Christians. It's the same reason why cows moo because they're cows the same reason why cats meow cuz they're cats Christians do good works cuz they're Christians and God has prepared those good works for us in advance important to note there so all that being said this begins to start to lay out uh you know at least big block in the major concepts here law and gospel because we're not saved by our good works we're not saved by our sanctification We are not saved by our obedience. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith is trust. Trust in the promises of God for the forgiveness of our sins. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not our own doing. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. You kind of get the idea here. Now, all of that being said, I'm going to introduce another concept, and then we'll go back to Ephesians 5 because I I want to really lay out the law and gospel bit. Okay, so when you read the Bible, there are commandments God says you shall have no other gods. That's what he says. God says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He says that as well. He says that you are to honor your father and your mother. He does say that. And he also says that you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then there's all kinds of things you are forbidden from coveting. You know, because you know sin begins in the heart right, so all of these things are commanded by God, and in those that's the law, all right these are, this is the moral law of God. What is its purpose? Is its purpose in order to give us a program that we can follow that once we o- achieve obedience to these commandments that God will give us salvation because we've earned it? No, that's not the reason why God gave us the law. And the law cannot save us. Okay, this is—I know this is foundational work for some of you. Uh, and for some of you, that's like I've never heard it talked about in this way. I get it. All right. So Paul, in the uh, in the book of Romans, chapter three, asks an important question. Okay, he asks a question: Are are we Jews any better off than the Gentiles? And he says, not at all. For we have already charged that all, that's everybody, both Jews and Greeks, everybody on planet Earth, they are under sin, as it is written, and watch what he says, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one, their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. their feet are swift to shed blood in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the expanded version of what Paul wrote in Ephesians two one and three You know dead in trespasses and sins, and this is all of us. this is we've been we were conceived and born in this state as a result of Adam's sin through the sin of Adam. The many, all of us were made sinners, right? Now, all of that being said, here comes the law part. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And the purpose of that then is so that every mouth may be stopped and so that the whole world may be held accountable to God. Yeah, so you can think of it this way. One of the proper uses of God's law, and there's three... One of the proper uses of God's law is to show you that you're a sinner, that you do not measure up, and in the process to silence you. Because if you ask just the average person on the street, are you going to go to heaven? Yes. Why? Because I'm a good person. Really, okay? Why do you think that? Because I pay my taxes and I've never been to prison. And I put money in the kettle and the Salvation Army thingy every Christmas. Mm-hmm. scripture would beg to differ none is righteous no not one there are no good people on the planet me included Okay, the purpose of the law is that we would be held accountable to God God's law says you have sinned you have transgressed God's holy law you are guilty you are a sinner and you sit there and you go I, I don't like you talking to me like that I agree I don't like being talked to that way either But what the scriptures say about all of us, me included, is true. And then you note this. So what's the solution? Well, verse 20, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So one of the right uses of God's law, then, is to show you that you are sinful. Show me that I'm sinful. You're, you're using God's law correctly if that's what you're using it for. Now, if you're using God's law to say, "Now just get busy being obedient," then and then and then and then God will pat you on the head and you'll be saved. Uh, the law was not given to save you, or me, or anyone else. Okay. Now goes on. But now the righteousness of God and the 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 phrase righteousness of God. It that is the righteousness of God, meaning it's his righteousness, not mine, his okay, this is the righteousness that is given by faith, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets they bear witness to it. This is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all their means all, including the tiniest little fetus or infant. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, you could say an atoning sacrifice, by his blood, To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over the former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, what then becomes of our boasting? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I mean, and if you'll note that uh, I've I've seen this happen so many times, it's almost like you know a given that anybody. Who believes that they're saved by their works, either in full or in part, oftentimes arrogance goes along with that, and they're really boastful. Why? Because, well, they believe misguidedly that somehow their good works, their obedience makes them saved. And so, you know, they're they're boasting in their self-righteousness. But here, if you're saved by grace through faith, apart from works, and everybody is declared to be unrighteous and unholy, and we are saved by grace as a gift from God through faith, then there is no room for boasting. So Paul asks the question, what then becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified. Dikayao here in the Greek, justified means to be declared righteous. We are justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Well, yes, of the Gentiles, since God is the one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? No. On the contrary, through this faith, we uphold the law. Now, this is an important bit right here. Okay? Really important because this then creates the link point between biblical justification and biblical sanctification. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Do we then overthrow the law by faith? No. On the contrary, through faith, we uphold the law. Sitting there scratching your head going, how exactly does that work? I'll get to that in a moment, but I think you're, you're we're in the ballpark now, is a good way to put it. Okay, now let me give you another cross-reference here. Galatians chapter 3. The entire book of Galatians is written against the Judaizing heresy. And the, uh, the heresy of the Judaizers, they said, you're not saved unless you're circumcised. So they mixed grace and law-keeping. And Paul says of them that they're anathema. Even in the opening chapter, says, even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you gospel, other than the one already preached, let him be damned, anathema. All right, so in Galatians, Paul again hints at this this uh linchpin as far as faith being concerned, He says, "Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this: did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith?" Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? So you'll note here, he's talking about their sanctification. You've begun by faith. Are you now trying to be perfected, to become Christ-like by your flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do so by works of the law? or by hearing with faith just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness so you'll note faith is a vital component in the proper distinction between law and gospel between the letter and the spirit and faith and works you know you know you know of fle- uh, works of the flesh have to be distinguished and properly maintained that, that distinction needs to be maintained regarding Christian sanctification. Christian sanctification is not a mere mere matter of you making a decision to apply yourself to be obedient. It doesn't work that way. In fact, I would recommend a work by Augustine called A Treatise on the Letter and the Spirit. A Treatise on the Letter and the Spirit. It's available in the public domain. A very fine work that reiterates justification by grace through faith alone. And also then makes the proper distinction as it relates to how then does a Christian make progress in sanctification. Augustine kind of puts it this way that through the law of works, God commands us to obey and there are specific commands he gives us you know I listed a few of them, you know not to murder, to steal, to honor your father and mother, not to bear false witness against your neighbor, not to covet, things like that. And so God said, through the, through the law of works, God says, do what I command you. But by faith then, by the law of faith, we cry out to God, please give me what you command. And we note then that it's the fruit of the Spirit that's born in our life, and the Holy Spirit works in us to help us to mortify our sinful flesh and daily take off the old man and put on the new and begin, it's the spirit that conforms us into the image of Christ. Now, I i recently gave a sermon on this um, and I'm trying to find the name of the sermon. You know what we'll do here. it It, it, it was a sermon on this topic. I preached on... Uh, The prayer, well, the request that Solomon, King Solomon made when God appeared to him in a dream, he says, ask me anything that you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon basically says, you've made me king, I don't know how to do it, please give me the wisdom to be able to rule your people. So all of that being said, proper distinction of law and gospel then comes down also to sanctification, noting then, sanctification is not some mere matter of me trying to with my own will, overcome the weaknesses of my sinful flesh. No, all Christians have the Holy Spirit. Then through faith and crying out to the Spirit and through the means of grace, God giving us this power to mortify our sinful flesh. So when God's commands come at us, saying that I, I command you not to do this or I command you to do that, we recognize then that the third use of the law which is, a, which is a valid use, shows us what a good work is, but God's law cannot and does not give us the, uh, the power and ability to obey it. So then through the law of faith, we cry out to God and ask God humbly to give us what he's commanding us to do. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, You can do so. My email address is TalkBackAtFightingForTheFaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook Facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, the balance of uh, Steve Adams' message of Clockwise Life and our look at a proper distinction between the law and the gospel. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
2: Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I
1: breathe. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Everybody expects a purpose driven inquisition amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian jerks. Oh, damn! I can't say it. You'll have to say it.
2: Uh, what
1: you have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are?
2: Uh, I, I couldn't do that.
0: <clears throat> <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose driven inquisition. Uh, nobody, uh, expects, uh,
2: expects, no, nobody expects the, um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who our do, chief expect, weapons are? our chief weapons are, um, purpose. uh, uh, vision. Okay, and... okay,
1: stop, stop that, stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose, blah, 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 blah. Youth, Pastor Rick, read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead?
0: We're We're innocent. Ha!
1: Ha! Ha (laughs) ha ha! We'll soon change your mind about that!
3: Hello, people of the interwebs. Strongbird here with an important announcement. <coughs> Are your walls bland? Have you not felt any exhilaration since you watched the paint dry on them three years ago? Well, you're in luck. Pyrochristian Media is now sending pretty, pretty pictures for you to spruce up your depressingly bland wall space. Wait just one moment. Uh-huh. Oh. Really? Okay. I'm sorry, folks. These are not pretty, pretty pictures. They're fine art prints. Which means that you're probably going to want to hang them in an actual frame rather than on the fridge next to little Jimmy's impressionist take on motor vehicles. Uh, is that even street legal? These fine art photographs, or, uh, 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 um, art for short... Will be personally signed by the captain himself, with an included certificate of authenticity to boot. Mm-hmm. Now that's quality art, if I ever saw it. But be warned, larger prints of PyroChristian Media's art are limited editions with only 50 of each print being made. Be sure to go to pyroChristian.com, click on the Fine Art Photographs link at the top of the page, and check for prices and availability. Of our regularly updated photo gallery. Thank you.
0: Na 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 na. Alright, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that uh, sermons that are all law, no gospel, and don't properly distinguish between law and gospel are twisting God's word, because they are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website Fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says uh, become a patron. That's right, yeah. So when you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. And rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great... Way to support us. And uh, for the month of January uh, through January 31st of this year, 2020, everybody who joins our crew at Gunner's Mate and above, I will send you a fine art print, uh, eight and a half by 11 fine art print of my photograph titled All Things London. This is a $49.95 value. Uh, for and my way of saying thank you for joining our crew. If you'd like to see what that looks like, go to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the join our crew link, and there's a photograph. You know, there's a picture of the photograph there. Presently, in the month of January. If you listen to this two, three years later, um, I I have no idea if we're still making this available. Uh, you know, the the actual print itself. I mean, most of these are limited editions anyway. But uh, so, but anyway, anybody who joins our crew at Gunners Made or above in January, uh, you know, through January thirty first, I'll send you a copy of my fine art print, All Things London. If you'd like to make a one time contribution, click on the donate button. If you'd like to uh, make a contribution by becoming a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And if you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can you can do so by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box one three three four four. Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support. We truly, honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is the balance of our lesson today, talking about um, the the proper distinction of law and gospel, and the sermon that we uh, are listening to in part, Living a Clockwise Life, from Steve Adams of Saddleback Church. Here we go. So, yeah, again, good, good, you know, kind of getting the track all... Greased up there for you. I know this is a long episode, but uh, work with me here. I told you this was going to be long. Uh, so Ephesians chapter five now. So if you remember, a long time ago we were letting um, Steve Adams talk about Ephesians five about being a clockwise, living a clockwise life. In Ephesians five fifteen to seventeen, he was trying to explain to us, teaches us this i this concept of living a clockwise life. And we noted he read it out of context. So. When we get to uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul has already explained we are saved by grace through faith apart from works. Our three rules for sound biblical exegesis are in our context, context, context. And so Ephesians 5 says, therefore, be imitators of God. Therefore, because you are saved by grace through faith apart from works and you are created in Christ Jesus for good works, because of that, then be imitators of God as beloved children, because you already are. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And you're going to note then, his concept of sanctification, of walking in love, is grounded in the gospel of what Christ is. The good news that Christ has bled and died for our sins. Okay, everything comes back to the gospel. So sexual immorality, all impurity, or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, were past tense. But now you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, for instead, uh, but instead expose them. It is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light, therefore... It says, a O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. All right, so now we have the, the bigger context before verse 15. All right, now we get to verse 15. So look carefully then how you walk. Peripateo has to be with how you conduct your life. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time. And now this is going to be an important thing here. I'm going to Pull this up to where we can see this. So making the best use of the time, here it's tan kairon. A kairos is is the word used for season, okay? So the the time is not talking about chronos time, okay? That would be like your schedule. At noon, we do this, and at 1 o'clock, we do that, and at 5 p.m., we do this, and that's chronos time. But this is kairos. This has to do with the season, so making the best use of the season the time because the days plural are evil so therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is all right now you're going to note it goes on so what is the will of the wo- lo- 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 what is the will of the lord what does it mean to make the best use of the season so do not get drunk with wine that is debauchery be filled with the spirit Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes on. So what is the will of God? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their own, to, in, in everything to their own husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her uh, by the washing of water with the word, that's a reference to baptism, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. All right, so you want to know what the will of the Lord is? It continues explaining what that is. So we'll we'll note then that some very, very specific things are listed as the will of the Lord and what it means to be wise as as opposed to unwise. Let's see what Steve Adams is going to do here. It's been a while since we've seen him, so, so let me back this up just a little bit as he ...lays out what he's going to do here again. ...for journey, they are making the most of every
2: opportunity and their time. And in doing so, they grow in wisdom. They are clock wise. And let's take a look at this scripture. It's from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. And it says this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly... But understand what the Lord wants you to do.
0: And-, and it spells out what the Lord wants me to do, you know, before that as well as after that. And in this passage, I see four things that you and I can do, what, how we can live a clockwise life. So let's- okay, so wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. Uh, children, obey your parents. That's Ephesians 6, which is still continuing with this thought. Uh, uh, honor your father and mother. That's the first commandment that it may go well for you. How, here's how, how fathers uh, don't provoke your children to anger, uh, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, uh, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. You can, uh, this kind of works out in this way, then employees obey, do good work for your employers. And then if you're an employer, uh, treat your employees kindly, Yeah, those are the ways, okay? So the reason I'm saying that is because that's how that text works. But what Steve Adams is doing here is weird. Let me back it up uh, just a little bit. Listen again. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. And in this passage, I see four things that you and I can do. Four things. I, I saw more than that, but they were listed in the text. Is... Steve Adams going to list out those things, avoiding sexual immorality, impurity, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, wives submitting to their husbands, husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, children obeying their parents, bond servants obeying their masters, masters not being harsh with their bond servants. Is that what he's going to say? I mean, because I saw more than four. We're, how we can
2: live a clockwise life. So let's look at these. Number one, to live a clockwise life, I must pay close attention to how I conduct myself. Pay close attention
0: to how I conduct myself. The scriptures. <laughs> he, it, it, so what's happened here is he's ripped these two verses, actually, you know, 15, 16, 7, 3 verses out of context. And he's encapsulated them and completely separated them from the actual things that the texts say that we that, that with how we do what it's saying to do. Says So be careful
2: how you live. And the words that the Apostle Paul used here, those words mean to walk or to live calculated, precisely, just like a clock. It's very calculated. It's very precise. And we are to walk in a very calculated, cautious way. So to live a clockwise life, I can't just flippantly do what I want to do. I should pay attention to how I live my life.
0: Right, and you should pay attention to the context of the passages that you're preaching from, too, so that you don't make them say things they don't say or you omit things that they do say. Secondly, to live a clockwise life, I must discern what is right and act upon it. Right, and discerning in this case is just a matter of reading in context. Discern what is right and act upon it. The
2: scripture there says, don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. And, you know, it's some people think that knowledge and wisdom are the same thing, and they're not. Knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. See, knowledge is is just transactional information. It's just information that we share back and forth, and then that's it. That's the beginning, that's the end. But wisdom is transformational action.
0: Wisdom is transformational action. Wisdom is transformational action? Where would you get that definition?
2: And action is the catalyst for wisdom. You can know something, but if you don't put it into practice, then what good is it? It's nothing more than knowledge. And we we use our good judgment and our experiences and our knowledge to make right
0: choices. But we have to put that knowledge into practice. All right, so real quick, just categories of law and gospel. Is this law or gospel? Answer, it's law. Because it's telling us what we should be doing. Things I need to apply. Things I need to do. Are we sanctified or justified by the law? No.
2: I know the speed limit is 75. But I can tell you now, when you go 95 at the wrong time of the day, you get a
0: little coupon from the state police. 95? Okay, don't even do that in North Dakota. Yeah. I
2: know the speed limit, but I'm, I'm, I'm wise when I actually put that knowledge into action. So to live a clockwise life, I must discern what is right and then act upon it. Thirdly, to live a clockwise life, I must steward my time with great caution and intentionality.
0: Notice everything here. The thing I got to do. 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 Law, 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 law. Now, since the law is always accusing us, let me ask you this question. Um, is everybody there sitting there going, well, I'm already doing this? No, most of the people sitting there going, eh, well, I'm, I'm, I need to improve in this category. So they're being convicted here. So the solution when you've transgressed God's will is to do what? To confess your sin and to be forgiven. Will we hear about the cross in this? No. Steward my time with great caution
2: and intentionality. And there's a very interesting thing here. The Apostle Paul used a word, he's one word that we, we take that, that phrase, make the most of our opportunity. And the word he uses refers to getting something back by means of pain or ransom.
0: Yeah, redeem. Yeah, that, that, that's, he's correct about the word there, by the way. Meaning there's something here.
2: That, has been, that, that, that someone else has, but for me to have it, I must pay the ransom. And for whatever thing you're involved in, whatever actions that you do, whatever activities you're a part of, there's a ransom you must pay for those activities, and that ransom is
0: your time. Can we talk about how Christ has redeemed us? Have you, have, you may have read a translation of this, talk about redeeming the time for the days are evil. Okay. So here you're talking about a ransom or a redemption. And the, and the Greek word there is that, by the way. It is. But you're doing this completely disconnected from any concept of the redemption or ransom paid by Christ so that we can be forgiven and justified. And see, this is the problem. When you don't do law and gospel properly and you end up just preaching only law, then you weigh people down with a heavy burden and convince try to convince them that Christian obedience is akin to making a New Year's resolution, and it's not. It costs you
2: time, and time being literally, I think, the greatest resource that God has given us. It's just the greatest commodity we have because you can't manufacture it. It's a gift from God.
0: Now, notice he's talking about chronos time, but this text, redeeming the time, the, uh, the kairos, it's a season for the days are evil. He's talking about Kronos, but the text itself is using Kairos time, which is a different way of looking at time altogether. You can't duplicate it. You can't
2: uh, manufacture it. You you, you can't steal it. It is what it is. It's here and it's gone, and then it's no more. I actually tried to steal time.
0: I did. I actually tried to steal time. Now, a little bit of a note. This personal anecdotal story from his life is an example of Kronos time, And again, the time here that's being talked about in Ephesians 5 is Kairos. It's about the season, the days that we are in. Back
2: back when we lived in Chicago, my wife Stephanie and I and my sons Matt and Tyler two times a year would take a road trip down south to see our family. And I love to get on the road early. How many of you like to get on the road early when you're traveling? Yeah, I want to be on the road at 4 a.m. Really? It's that weird? Man, okay. Steph told me that I was the only one that, that would do such a thing. And now I'm starting to believe her. But I want to be on the road at 4 a.m. And what does it matter to them? They're going to go to sleep. They're going to get in the car. And that, that was my rationale. I said, you guys are going to get in the car and go to sleep. So what does it matter? But I, and this one time we were, we were leaving, she was doing laundry. It was kind of late. And I said, Steph, I want to be on the road by 4 a.m. I really do. She said, no way. I can't do it. I, I'm sick to my stomach at that time of the morning. I, I, I got to get up at three then in order to be. No, I, I can't do it, Steve. I can't leave at four this time. I can't do it. And I started thinking: Is there a way that we could both get what we want? Yes. I'll change every clock in the house. <laughs> make her. Th-
0: and you're still married. Wow. Think it's six, when really it's four. Yeah, this wouldn't destroy trust in a marriage at all. Now, I see
2: some really judgmental eyes. I'm going to be honest. I, I, I see some women look at me, and, yeah, I may have just lost points with a lot of you. But, but, but you got to understand what I was trying to do here. I thought it would be fun. I thought it would be this really cool thing because what I saw.
0: Yeah, if he had just kept reading, you know, the text talks about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that kind of stuff, that, that might have helped him out here. But again, you'll note, he's not properly distinguishing between law and gospel. This is all law. He's not made a careful distinction between the type of time that's being discussed in this, these three verses as opposed to the th- kind of time he's discussing in a sermon illustration. And as a result of it, it it really is making a mess of things. And rather than discipling people in what the scriptures say and helping them to recognize what the Bible teaches regarding Christian sanctification is actually creating a lot of confusion.
2: We, Steph would get in the car and, and and the boys, and then they would wake up, you know, several hours down the road. She goes, "Wow, it's already eight o'clock." You know, did we make good time? We go, "Oh, you know what? Here's the funny thing: it's actually six o'clock." And then she would laugh. I would laugh. We'd high five. The, Matt and Tyler would go, dad, you're the funniest. That was really funny. It would be like a Hallmark movie ending. That's what I really thought was going to happen. And so I went through our home and changed every timekeeping device in our house. And in fact, Stephanie had a wristwatch. The band was broken in her purse. I went in her purse and changed that watch just in case she caught on to me and looked at the one place she thought I wouldn't wouldn't touch. So it was all set. And then I realized there was one timekeeping device in our home that I had not changed. And it was the clock on the stove. Now, what I didn't know, because I don't cook, there's no reason for me to touch the stove. And so I didn't know how to change the clock on the stove. I didn't realize that when you touch the buttons on the stove, it beeps every single time, no matter what you want it to do. So she was in the other, on the other side of the house and I, I, I hit it, beep, beep, ah, And I kind of waited. Didn't hear anything, I'm good. So I, I hit it one more time to change it and all of a sudden like flash Gordon, there she was. Like from nowhere. And she said, what are you doing? Why are you touching the stove? Because again, there's no reason for me to touch the stove. And I didn't know what to say so I've learned over the years when I don't know what to say to my wife, I say nothing. I just stand there and don't say a word. Just let it play out. I didn't know what to do. I said nothing. And she said, why are you touching the stove? And then she looked at me, looked at the stove, and she went, oh. And then she walks into the living room. And then I hear that sound again. And then she comes back into the kitchen. And she said, you changed the clocks. (laughs) Well, remember that Hallmark ending I was looking for? (laughs) Didn't happen. Oh, there was an ending, but there was nothing Hallmark about it.
0: So let me ask a question: Does this illustration help us to rightly understand Ephesians 5:15 to 17? Nope. This whole illustration is actually muddying up our understanding of Ephesians 5 and confusing us, misleading us, if you would. <laughs> Nothing hallmark about it. In fact, we left at noon
2: that next day. <laughs> yeah) she showed me Oh yeah now you're happy I get it <laughs> Time is precious it can't be manufactured stolen duplicated it
0: it it's here and then it's gone for you and I to live a- Yeah again, that's Chronos time The type of time mentioned in Ephesians 5 in 15 16 and 17 is Kairos it's a season time it's cuz the days Plural are evil. It's not talking about being a good steward of your chronos time. It's not what it's talking about. A clockwise life.
2: We must steward our time with great caution and intentionality. So, to live a clockwise life, we must pay close attention to how we conduct our lives, discern what's right and act upon it, steward our time with great caution and intentionality. And the fourth thing I see in this passage, that we're to do to live a clockwise life, is recognize what's really important and respond accordingly.
0: Okay, if you just read the text, you'd know what those things are. You'd recognize them immediately. They're listed for you in the text, because one of the proper uses of God's law is shows us what a good work is. So you're gonna know la 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 law, and he's twisted the text up and and made it this capsule, and we're in we're totally disconnected from what the text is actually saying about what real Christian sanctification is. Uh,
2: Painful. Recognize what's really important and respond accordingly. The scripture there says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Right. And to understand it, you you keep reading. Thoughtless life is careless. It's inattentive. It's just,
0: yeah, you know, like a sermon that's careless is one that's inattentive to the context of the text that you're preaching on. Random living. But a thoughtful life is
2: careful. It's accurate. It's attentive. It's intentional. And we have this great danger as we, uh, on our journey of, of trying to, to live this clockwise life and, and make the most of our time and our opportunities. And as we do, we grow in wisdom. But there is, there is a problem. There's something I call personal and missional drift.
0: Yeah, I think you get the point. He is not going to get to the context there and help us to recognize what God would have us do and what his will is. It's it's like completely avoided, like it's the plague. Because if he were to actually preach what the text says, both before 5.15 and after 5.17... Um, They they might have a drop in attendance there at Saddleback, yeah. But uh, failure to properly understand and distinguish the proper distinction between law and gospel, failure to recognize that even our sanctification comes back to faith. It is not just a mere gut decision to obey. And then completely avoiding the context of the text that he's preaching from makes this so that it's a super heavy, burdensome Sermon at the end of it, you got a list of things that you're supposed to do, but the cross doesn't make an appearance. Repentance, confessing your sin, being forgiven, trusting in Christ, bearing fruit, and keeping with repentance none of those things show up in this sermon. So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard. On this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Fire Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross, for all of your sins. Amen.